I mean, it is true that we do another fantasy on the side, the RM Supercross fantasy. And yeah, Skip Axelin sent out the thing and you are P2 after the results, which I don't even know what happened, but that's... Say my name. I'm not saying you're stupid. Say my name. <laughs> What's up, G-Dub? What's up, JP43? <laughs> I am... I'm in a tiny bit of suffering mode last night from last night because uh went over to a friend's house. There's about eight of us. One of my buddies, Jimmy, owns a restaurant, so he catered it with unbelievable food. We watched the fights. We watched Supercross. Um, it was it was a good night, but it was that one, you know, maybe one, two nights a year that I might have a couple of cocktails. And so, yeah, that the whole idea of doing this early with you on a Sunday morning for some obvious reasons um, sounded great last night. But now, <laughs> you're it sounds so good. You know what I mean? Yeah, you and I, I mean, I don't drink. I haven't, I've no. never really, you know, since I was 16. But you, you know, very rarely. So you're like, yeah, classified as a lightweight. Definitely. Beyond lightweight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in the ultra lightweight division. And <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and, but it was all right. I mean, um, yeah, the fights were pretty crazy last night. I don't know if you got to see any of that, but the, and obviously with Supercross that. last night. You don't watch any UFC? I don't watch any UFC. I don't watch any Bellator. Um, actually, I'll tell you what was what, what occupied my time a little bit yesterday before Supercross came on was, it sounds lame, I know it, but the Call of Duty League. Um, so they have a professional league with uh, like 12 teams that have to buy into the league. It's very interesting. They started with a um, exhibition match, exhibition matches yesterday. And they're having to do it a lot of different ways. It, you know, normally it used to be in person and you would see it Atlanta and other places where there's literally thousands of people and packed the Staples Center, for instance, in L.A. Yeah. And, you know, they're they're nuts, Jay. I mean, the the, yeah. the, the, yeah. the the video game, especially the Call of Duty crowd. I mean, dude, they talk so much shit to each other. It's unbelievable. Like That's a dude awesome. makes a good play and they stand up and they're just like, you suck, go home, like against each other. And they still talk trash. But they're friendly, but they talk trash, and it's part of the appeal and the fans and everything. So this is done differently. It's all done, you know, in sequestered areas, and it's done online, which is different. But they kicked it off. I was I was interested in the gameplay, but more so like how they're producing it, how you yep. know how things are coming about. So I did a little bit of that. But anyway, enough with that crap. But let's talk yeah. about today, Jay, because we're going to start you off with some news presented by Arai, followed by a quick chat with American Brandon Posh. We're going to talk Supercross H three or Houston three, and what we saw, and of course. We're going to talk about the Pulp MX Supercross Fantasy League, as I'm very excited this week to talk about yes, it. Yes, you then, should be. <laughs> and then after, uh, we're going to welcome in World Superbike commentator Steve English to discuss the happenings, the recent stuff that's going on in the World Superbike paddock. And then, of course, we're going to tease what's coming up next week and give you the race calendar. So, Jason, are you ready to get after? Let's do this. News? Okay, yeah, let's hear it. It's not we a ton. It's not no, but we're getting, it's getting to be that time of year, G-Dub. It's it almost is. February, and uh, I know there were some announcements this week of some things. So, yeah, let's do it. Hey, Jason, did you know Arai helmets are lined with an antimicrobial material? Yep, the interior liner gives you odor resistance, dirt resistance, and those antimicrobials that you love so much. You can stay fresher longer and enjoy a comfortable ride in the latest Arai helmet. Go to AraiAmericas.com, pick what you like, head down to your local dealer for fitment and grab yourself a new lid because like Jason just said riding season's like right around the corner 
especially if you live in the South, man, it's a lot closer than you may think a couple weeks in February. So go check out AriaAmericas.com. All right, so let's get you started here with some MotoGP stuff, Jay, because, well, a revised 2021 calendar came out last week, and a couple things to note. Round one in Qatar turns into round one and two, and then they're going to go to Portugal. The USGP set for Coda and the Argentinian rounds have been postponed. Now, Jay, the press release said, quote, the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and resulting lockdowns and complications sadly obliged the postponement of both the Argentinian GP and America GP until the last quarter of 2021. Any further updates or changes will be provided as soon as available, unquote. Now, Jay, here's the thing. The, like, if you look at the FIM list, the maximum allowed races for 2021 is 20, and there's currently 19 on the calendar. So if things work out the way the calendar is set right now, either Argentina or the U.S. round have got to be left off the calendar. What do you, what do you think? Well, yeah, I, that, it's, that is definitely a bummer, the whole CODA thing. And I know it puts a lot of things in jeopardy when you look at big picture. We're supposed to go test there. I'm not sure what's going on. With that, um, obviously, we, we got to get our riders riding, and the original plan was to go to Coda. But if we're not going to go there at all, it'll be interested to see how that gets handled. Um, the fact that they're doing two rounds at Doha, I had a discussion with somebody yesterday that's actually pretty excited about the idea of Doha twice. I'll, I'll let your brain work on that for a second. You'll know who it is. Joe Roberts, um, I would imagine. Yes, oh, yeah, yeah. I talked to Joe Roberts yesterday. <laughs> so, so his whole thought process when I spoke with him was, uh, you know, he's obviously very excited about this year. Um, but he got pole position there last year at the first round, if you remember correctly, G-Dub. And he's going into the year exactly kind of how I kind of perceived him to go into the year. He looked at his last season as one that was definitely a jump. He knows the pace now. He's set the pace before. You know, he was just a few races, a few bad luck things away, like his wheel not going in right at Le Mans and that kind of thing had a really interesting conversation with him actually because he wants to get to do some riding out here in Southern California. So we talked about some possible dates and, uh, but the idea that, that we might not be going to America was also on his mind yesterday and said that that was kind of a bummer to see that, that this could get rescheduled. Now the hope I guess would be Greg that we run this race in October, maybe at the end of the year, correct? That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that third quarter in the fall, basically in Texas would be it, but that's, and that's what I'm saying. Like they're going to have to make a choice between Argentina or the United States, if their calendar stays exactly the same. I know, I mean, listen, MotoGP wants to go to as many places as possible. And with more vaccines that are starting to come out, you know, in, in clinical trials and things like that, I mean, the the optimistic view, I think, is that by the time we get to that part of the year, that we should be in relatively good shape to have travel and travel abroad. And as Europe is on lockdown now, as we'll hear from Steve English, I'm sure, here in a few minutes, because he's on lockdown um, it, it's just a tricky situation right now, and it's just a little early into 2021 to make a, a prediction, but I'm hopeful about that. Yeah. And um, I, I don't think, like, obviously, on the MotoGP side, you would think du- that Ducati's pretty excited about having Qatar twice because yeah, they've you would think really well there. So, yeah, I don't know. No we'll doubt. See. I mean, it, it, it's an interesting thing. Now, the other thing, too, is for you fans of the famed Daytona 200 race, the only 200-mile solo race with pit stops on an enclosed road course, Word has been passed on that it is happening. It's a go March 13th, the 79th running. We will update you on riders and teams as we get closer. What do you think, Jason? I mean, I'm, I'm pumped to see the Daytona 200 get after it. Oh, 
Always. And if you remember last year, I mean, we are getting right to that point coming up here in March, Greg, where we were going to Barber and doing our test with Moto America and Kyle Wyman and some of those guys were going straight, straight from our test to Daytona. They all made it down there. And I remember exactly where I was when I heard the race got canceled. And, uh, you know, I guess they went to the riders meeting after qualifying and so on. And, you know, we were right at the start of what we what we didn't know was going to be a full year now of, uh, you know, of being inside and masking and doing all this stuff. But people are starting to get along with their get on with their lives. And I'm happy to see that the Daytona 200 is put back on the schedule coming up in March. And uh, I've also talked to a couple of guys, Greg, that we'll talk about in the coming weeks that uh, that are that are going to be possibly going down there. Guys that um, that might surprise you a little bit. So I think it's going to be great that the 200 is running again. Cool. Well, that's your news presented by Arai. Unless you have something you want to add, I mean, it's been like I said, we're so so or unusually we're recording this Sunday morning. Um, you know, yeah. before normally we do it late, so there might be a couple days of news that we miss, but we'll catch up on on the next podcast. Well, it's funny because Greg and I, our schedules are so crazy sometimes. And uh, as it works this time, Greg, it's you and me. Because I leave, I got to be at Chuckwalla all basically Tuesday through Sunday. We have CVMA and I know you're on the road. So um, getting up Sunday morning and doing this is the best time we could do it. But last night we talked about it, Greg. Round three of the Houston Supercross um, went down and... It was an interesting race. It went the down. Tra- That's a good way to put it. it yeah, went down. it went down. It did. I uh, The way the racing went itself, Cooper Webb comes out on top, the 1919 Supercross champion, um, you know, with the one lap to go. You literally said 1919. 1919. Yeah, so I did. Tired. I'm so tired. That's back <laughs> when I was born. 1919. <laughs> 2019 champion, Cooper Webb. Ends up winning last night, running down to Ken Rocks, and there's some controversy there with him catching up to the back of Dean Wilson, and we'll get to that in about two minutes here. Ken Rockson ends up second. Seeing Cirillo just kind of kept his nose clean and ended up third last night, kind of a quiet third. How about Barsha? Barsha goes down, Tomac passes, and Barsha gets back by him on the gas gas to put himself in fourth. Then we had Tomac, Stewart, Plessinger, Anderson, Zach Osborne, who, Greg, I don't know what's going on with him. You know, I know he hurt his knee, so maybe it's just still bothering him. Justin Brayton rounds out the top 10 with Dean Wilson uh, 11th. Now, I know you watched the race. I know we both watched it. Um, I was like everybody else, I guess, when I saw Roxon coming up on Wilson. Um, this is probably a lot more, you know, up in your wheelhouse when we start talking about people getting lapped. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, look. Within an hour after the race, Dean Wilson came out with a very, very heartfelt apology uh, that I thought was pretty big of him to do. It is racing. It, 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 it All the stuff that goes down with catching back markers is part of the job, is part of racing. There's a lot of things you could look at during the race, um, like Cooper Webb catching rocks in like probably two or three seconds in the last three or four laps. Um, there's a lot of things that went down, and there was a lot of hate thrown at Dean Wilson. So... It's one of those things where tell us how a backmarker feels, GW. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't recall. But anyway, mm-hmm. listen, it's a complicated situation from the standpoint of let's describe to people if you didn't see it. Basically, with about two laps to go, the leaders, which is Ken Roxon with Cooper Webb about one second, one point five seconds behind, pretty much catch him. And immediately, I saw the speed of Dean Wilson, 
and, and, and the acceleration he was getting out of the corners. And I was like, dude, he is not paying attention to blue flags. If you're new to racing, blue flags wave for, for lapped riders to, to indicate to them that the leaders are coming by and, and you need to get out of the way, yield to them, basically. And Dean Wilson did not do that. And the last corner before the checker flag was like what, Jay, a 180, 180 degree real tight left-hander? I yeah, think. yeah, yep, yep. And Dean got in the way and it, it or got in the way a couple, couple jumps it was just before, before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, it, yeah. and it was like, right, it was the wall jump, I guess. And Ken Roxon got a little sideways and thing, and basically Cooper Webb powered right by him and won the race by, you know, half a second. Ken made a mistake, though. Ken, he got in the same rut as Dean through the left, went up over the wall jump, like you said, got a little bit out of shape. So he wasn't able to kind of do this section the way he wanted to do it. And Wilson was right in front of him. Had he followed Dean Wilson to that inside line, Cooper Webb wouldn't have been able to get by. But Roxon wanted to go to the outside of Dean to try to get past that open line. Look, none of that even matters to me. The fact is, is that the track, again, um, was pretty short. So the lap times are shorter than normal. Watching guys, even in the 250 class, getting lapped up into inside the top 10 um, is one of those things that's going to happen. And when you have, you know, Dean Wilson ends up 11th and he's getting lapped. So they came through 11 other guys before they got to him. And as you go through guys, the guys that you're going to catch are going to be a little bit more on pace to you. I'm not defending Dean. I've seen the photos where there's blue flags out and not, Heck, he's not even defending himself. He basically said, I made a mistake, comes out and publicly, publicly apologizes. Hopefully, Indianapolis is going to happen next week. We'll move on. We'll move past this. I thought it was funny because one of the first comments um, last night as I was getting driven home, I wasn't driving home, but as I was getting driven home last night, I started to read. I saw the thing that he put up on Instagram, and one of the first comments was from Josh Heron, kind of supporting Dean Wilson. And Josh got absolutely lambasted on there. I mean, railed. And a lot of it, I think, was from, you know, um, guys like you, fantasy supercross guys that care so much about fantasy guys supercross. Like me. Guys yeah. like me. Yeah. Yep, okay. Guys like you. And uh, and I think that, that you know, a lot of it came. There was a guy on there that said he lost 2,000. I'm thinking, well, hey, if you if you don't know as a, as a you know, I heard as a gambler uh, that if, if, you, if you don't, you know, if you don't have two grand to lose, then don't bet it, you know? So, yeah. And. We just live in this. How many of those guys, if Dean Wilson came and knocked on their door, would be so pumped to see him, but they're just ripping him online. It just cracks me up. I'm a huge Dean Wilson fan myself, so I had no problem with it. It was a mistake. He came out and called himself on it. Let's move on. How about, though, Greg, Ken Roxon leading the points now over Justin Barsha, Cooper Webb, Eli Tomac, another tough night for him. Although he ends up fifth, gets those points. Um, uh, he ends up, He's fourth in the championship. And Cian Cirillo rounds out the top five. Now, in the 250 category, uh, I don't know if you got to watch that one, but for the second week in a row, Colt Nichols runs his teammate Christian Craig down. Last week, it was for second. This weekend, it was for the win. Colt Nichols wins over Christian Craig. Jet Lawrence gets himself up there into third after fighting from a bad start. Shimoda, Moseman, uh, Max Volans really starting to show something, Greg. Led his heat race for a long time last night. Osby, short. Morantz and Thomas Dew ended up finishing the top 10. Uh, point standings now for that. Christian Craig is in a tie with his teammate, Colt Nichols, and Jet Lawrence uh, is six points back. Did you watch that one too? I did. Good yeah. race. 
Colt Nichols ran down Christian Craig, like you said, and then passed him and Craig answered and he had started to kind of put some distance between himself and Colt. Craig was ripping through the whoops. And I think that's really what did it. But Colt got a little study on him. And then it seemed so weird because when like, so, so, so Craig gets back by Colt Nichols and then there was a, a decent gap. And then all of a sudden that gap was gone and all of a sudden Colt Nichols checked out. And I was yeah. like, Ooh. That seemed it seemed a little weird to me, but uh, if you listen to Christian Craig's post race interview, he did say briefly that he got a little gassed towards the end of that race. Did he? And, yeah, yeah. And I mean, Christian Craig's a little bit older, you know, and obviously these athletes are fit, but I just have to think that it still does take a toll at some level of racing a Saturday and the intensity of racing back on a Tuesday. So, and then a Saturday again. So for me. It's going to be good, and I think a lot of the riders are happy that they're going to get a six-week break, you know, six-day break, sorry, six-day break before they get to get back on the track. But entertaining races, I mean, what can you say about Yamaha right now? You know, you have Monster Energy star Yamaha going one-two again. Jet Lawrence was hurt, and I thought he rode a, a smart Really good, race. yeah. But, dude, I'm telling you, the person that's impressing me the most is Joe Shimoda. Yeah, you doing know? really well. He is doing really well. He's yeah. quietly just doing his thing, and he's scoring some points. And he's hanging around in fourth in the championship. Yeah, he's 14 back. But I think if Joe Shimoda can just keep clean and keep getting the results, that top three, Nichols, Craig, and Jet Lawrence, there might be some drama there that you know moves Shimoda up in third in the championship. And I think they only have, what, Jay, uh, five rounds left in the 250 East West. Is that is that West or East last it's night? East, it's East. Is it okay? So, yeah, so the East championship was, was the one that started the season, which is unusual. Yep. So they're yep. going to run, they'll run Indianapolis for the next three races. Then they run Orlando and then they have to wait all the way till Salt Lake city two before they go to their final round. So, uh, yeah, so th- there's a couple not a lot guys, a of- couple guys missing. Greg Forkner gets hurt in practice yesterday. I didn't actually see, um, it looked like a collarbone or shoulder possibly, uh, in the video that they showed in Hampshire, RJ Hampshire. Funny. The two guys that got together with each other the week prior, have a little history. They both end up getting hurt in independent incidents yesterday uh, before the before the night session, uh, before the night races even started. So practicing qualifying. So, uh, you know, Fortner cannot get away from getting hurt. Um, obviously, we've seen him hurt with last year. Uh, had to sit out the whole uh, rest of his Supercross season and outdoor season. So he's come back this year, put in some decent rides, but him and Hampshire were both out. So, uh, you know, that's going to really kill their championship hopes. Yeah, it is. It's it's pretty sad for for those guys, especially for, for Forkner. Yeah, no, it sucks. Now, when you're speaking of sad, when you're talking sad, yes. sad is what I put up last night in our Pulp Fantasy Supercross. Oh, my God, Greg. Dreadful. Was so full of joy and warmth. And uh, no, it was, I, it's it was a... Like, it was uh, like it was I was, uh, you know, one of those, uh, you know... Um, uh, hippie tree huggers, and I was out in a nice 60 degree day, and the sun yeah. was shining, and the smell mm, of fresh air, yeah. the warmness that you get from mm, the flowers, and, sure. and just being alive and being present. Mm. That's the feeling that I had watching you just tank like dick. Oh, Wait crazy. a minute, did yes, you? How many points did you you killed it last night? Am I right? I didn't kill it, kill it, but I did well last night. Like, oh, you got 191 points. Yeah, which is solid. It's you didn't even beat me. What? Oh, I didn't. <laughs> oh, you didn't. I here I am. I'm getting ready to pump you up, thinking that you did good, right? 
No, Skip did good. Skip actually no, did good. You, you, you whooped me last night, honestly. I, I know what I think you whooped me anyways. But I could see uh, – you know who got – in, in, BJP forty three smoke. By the way, folks, we're talking about the sorry, pulp fans. Yeah. yeah, sorry, a little sidetrack Sunday morning, you know, blur. But uh, I'm looking at you here, and you got Corey Alexander right in front of you. That was a big points haul for Corey, I think, last night. I think he actually did. He do any good? Yeah, Corey did good last night. So, but how about when you? How about how about uh, El Cap though? Yeah, El Cap. Cap- 290 points last night, ranked Ooh. 67th overall. Ooh. That's big. Yeah, that's, that's a that's a big Bill- night. That's a big, big night. And uh, pretty much I'm done. Mikey even beat me. I owe you $10. Overall, everything was just bad last night when it came to Pulp Fans Supercross for me. I had two guys that should have been in the 250 main event. They both went out. Um, I believe it was Sales, who, I don't know, qualified like ninth overall during the afternoon he couldn't get his way into the main and uh and then woodcock he he crashed while in a transfer position that's my story that's it i had two guys i had six out of my eight guys in so it wasn't a good night no it wasn't a good night for you okay for me but you know looking at the individuals i was still on page two i finish 69th in our league oh yeah oh my god revolver my boy ryan mcgowan went straight backwards Kyle Wyman jumped up. He's up into twenty third in our little uh, in oh, our deal second. here. Let's look at the overall because I want to. I want to just note the absolute drop from what eleventh down to 29th for you, Jason. Oh, I, so, hey, I just I just came right out and said I I was brutal. Yeah. I mean, Kevin Kevin's ahead of me now. He's one point ahead of me. He scored one hundred and ninety four points last night, Greg. I scored one hundred and sixty nine points. That is not a good night. I don't even know where. Oh, Corey Alexander has. You're still on the second page, Greg. Don't worry. You're still on the second page. Join us, pulpmxfantasy.com. Mm-hmm. Check out the Greg's Garage podcast. If you know, like, that's our league. And so you just sign up. You can do the free version. The thing is, you have to pick every week. All right. So you got to be on yeah. top of it. And it's a very interesting system. We probably should talk about it at some point, how you pick, but they're. Riders are handicapped, and you got to know kind of you only get so many all stars to pick, and then whoever you picked this last race isn't available for you to pick the next race. So you got to be really thinking about the future, looking at uh, the practice times, and you know just go with your gut. And and we're gonna we got to give a little shout out to Uncle Skip, don't we? Yeah, yeah, Skip Axlin. Yep. Oh my God, he'd never done it before. Scores two hundred and forty in his opening night. How's that? That's amazing. And and again, Jason and I are doing a side pool somewhere else. And I think Skip is like second to dead last in that pool. So that's the funny thing. It's like in one pool, you can do so well. In the other one, you could totally tank. How, how, are, how are you doing? How are we doing in that one, Greg? Go ahead. Well, I don't want to talk about it and confuse people. So we'll say right. offline. Yeah, that's do that. Conversation we need to really have with uh-huh. people. You yeah, I'm, I mean? se- I'm second. Greg right. somewhere back there and Uncle Skip anyway. and Chuck are way back. All right, so that's Supercross. We'll talk more about it next podcast, obviously. But let's move on to some road racing stuff. Yes, last week, let's do it. We told you that 19-year-old American Brandon Posh should be racing in the British Superbike Series for 2021 on a factory Triumph. He raced the 2019 BSB season in the Moto3 class where he won the championship and got a wild card in MotoGP. And now he is heading back to Europe. I had a chance to talk with him earlier, and this is what he said about 2021. Uh, 2021, I'm going back over to the British Superbike Series, uh, this time in the Supersport class on the PTR Dynavolt Triumph. It's the 
factory triumph team in the in the British Championship. Uh, new team to the series, new bike to the series, but a very experienced team coming back from World Supersport to race in the British Championship on a, a new undeveloped bike with the objective of bringing the whole squad to the World Championship at some point in the future. I'm actually going to be on the Triumph 765 Street Triple converted to a road race bike. Um, there's a, some sort of a rule where like there has to be a certain number of production, like bikes in production. And the 765 Moto 2 bike, the limited edition one, is obviously it's limited edition. So we weren't actually able to race that specific bike, but we're racing... The street triple converted into a into a race bike, um, so it'll make pretty much similar horsepower. It's it's pretty much the same bike, um, just obviously started as a, a street triple with upright handlebars and stuff. But yeah, I mean, I have a 2015 Triumph Street Triple. It's it's the 675 motor, not the 765 they have now. But that's exactly it was a, just a Triumph Daytona 675R with yep. different handlebars and I think foot pegs, but everything else was the same gearing was the same internal you know for the transmission i mean the shock fits everything so you know it's just different different bars with less body work so i totally get what he's saying but so what he's speaking of jay is obviously there's a homologation rule that says so many bikes have to be produced in this model for it to make its way into bsb i'm not sure the specific rules i don't know if mm-hmm. you are but i'm not in terms of how many units versus say what's required for world superbike or what's required for moto america but that's that's part of what production racing is about. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see him going back over there. Kind of figured we might see him here again this next year, uh, and, and was obviously was hoping to. Uh, it's, it was great having Brandon here in the series championship last year, and um, it's going to be the good news. He's going to a place he's been before. He knows the racetracks. He you know he knows the culture over there in England. Better bring a jacket. You know it'll be cold. But uh, but yeah, it, it's it's it sounds like it's going to be a great move for him, especially with a, it sounds like he's on a real official team, so it's going to be good. Yeah, and we know that MotoGP and BSB have done a deal to see how that 765 triple based bike and sport bike does. So I asked him about that. Honestly, I'm not 100 percent sure what the rules look like as far as like detuning the bike and stuff like that, or if it's uh, add weight. Or, or what the deal is, or if they're going to let us run it and then see where it, how it compares, um, which is probably what I think they'll do, is let us run it, see how it compares, and then uh, kind of make the rules based off of that. From what I was explained, we're basically, uh, this year, they're, they're basically developing the rules around our team for the uh, World Supersport Championship and uh, the British Supersport Championship moving forward. And then I would assume that, like, if everything goes well, maybe Moto America will also adapt those rules in the future. And this really, I think, Jason, is the future of Supersport. As you see those inline 599cc bikes, you know, starting to lose favor in terms of production, they've got to figure out something with Supersport, which is an important category, but how to balance the bikes. And and this isn't like the first time we've seen balancing in mm-hmm. class. No, no, not at all. And I think that you're right, Greg. That the, the thing is, is that... Uh, the big bikes, the thousands have come so far, and a lot of those bikes have so many great goodies on them that people have just gone out, and you know the thousand market now is what it is. I mean, everybody seems to be riding thousands. I remember back in the day, it's like the thousand grids at, at some of the club races were very, very, very small, and 600 grids were always overfilled, you know? And now when you go, there's just so many thousands because technology's come so far with electronics and things that people want that people want the electronics. I think it makes a lot of people feel safe. 
and even though you can you could do that with the with the smaller bikes as well that market uh that that middleweight class market has definitely shown itself to have less entries and things so they've had to do some things to get some other manufacturers involved and hence the the triumph situation there for brandon yeah and people are looking at the aprilia 660 and some other bikes as well now, in terms of goals, Brandon's goals are really just to get laps on this bike and to try to figure out, you know, podiums, obviously. But he knows that the BSB Supersport class is stacked. So what does he expect? I really don't know what to expect. I'm not sure what the, the competition level is. I know there's some really fast guys like Jack Kennedy's coming back. He's won the championship twice. Um, there's there's all kinds of guys. Uh, Brad Peary, who's like stepping up from his own privateer bike to the factory Yamaha. There's a couple young kids that are coming up to the class. So I don't know really what to expect or, or who's going to be there 100%. So, um, I mean, I'm keeping the goal kind of open. But, uh, but yeah, I get back over there in end of March, do my quarantine if COVID's still uh, around, and uh, hopefully get tests in beginning of April, middle of April, and uh, see where we're at after that, and then just keep moving forward and keep progressing all season. But I actually have my own uh, my own triumph over here that I'll be practicing on for for the next month and a half. So uh, I'll have some laps on the bike before I get over there. So he's down in Florida, and he does have, as people have seen on his social media, uh, he does have the Triumph uh, Moto Two special bike. You know, so yeah. it's yeah, it's basically that. It's 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 that that motor they they've dubbed it Moto Two. So he's got one here in the states to use. Um, you know, so. <laughs> He's, he's got a solid plan ahead of him. You know, obviously with COVID, it's kind of a fingers crossed type of a situation in terms of getting him over there. But once he's over there, I think he's going to have a solid plan. Yeah, no, it's good. And I think being able to get some testing time on that bike and obviously with COVID and all that stuff has made things a little bit harder. So, um, yeah, I mean, probably yeah, I know his Instagram feed is just blowing up right now with a lot of super motard. I see him down there with, uh, I, th- I think he's been riding with Ashton Yates a fair bit, and Sam Lockoff and, some of those guys. So I know they've been riding quite a bit down in Florida. And um, so it's, it's not like, it's not like he's lacking any two wheel action right now. He's still getting a lot of time to ride, but I'm sure he's just can hardly wait to get over there and ride his new bike. Yeah. I think he was telling me he's got obviously a lot of plans over the next, whatever it is, six weeks to go to mm-hmm. Jennings, which is a motorcycle only track down there, kind of on the Georgia, Florida border and then down to Homestead. So he'll get some good time on that, on that bike. Um, but you know, Jay, I did say to him, you know, like, Hey, there seems to be a lot of people, that have helped you get back to British Superbike. Uh, yeah, I just like to thank the whole PTR um, Dynavolt Triumph team for this opportunity for 2021 and possibly 2022, and then obviously the people that that support me, Luxstar VIP, the Classic Car Club of Manhattan, uh, at the moment Arai, Speedy, Electronic Concepts LLC, uh, Evolve GT Track Days, and just everybody else that supports me, all the all the people from America that are uh, watching all the BSB races, and all the people from England that are watching all the Moto America races this year, um, it, it means a lot to me and, and all the support. So uh, let's get ready for another good year over in Europe. Jason, what does he mean when he says possibly 2022? Well, you know, the thing is, is that there's probably a direct link or a line over there. The team he's with has been in World Supersport for a number of years. So there could be a chance that maybe that'll turn something into that for him to be able to go do some World Supersport after uh, after his year in England. Or or maybe he's trying to do a, you know, he might have a deal in there where if he's doing, you know, a certain way midway through the year, 
he might automatically get re-upped or that position might be there for him for the following year. So, you know, the biggest thing for Brandon is he just needs some stability of knowing that he's got something solid underneath him, a good foundation to start with, and then kind of build from there. And, um, you know, this last year, there was a, there was a lot of things going on for Brandon uh, at the races and being around him a little bit that I was, um, you know, he wasn't generally that happy with quite a bit of things that were going on over here. So, I just think he needs to go to a place where he could be happy. So if he gets that and this leads to something bigger and better for him, then, you know, great. I mean, I think a lot of guys want to be racing in Europe and, uh, and, you know, Brandon looks like he's got that opportunity again. Well, thanks, Brandon. Let's keep on the road racing side of things. And it's time to welcome in world Superbike commentator and a good friend of mine, not of Jason's Steve English. Hey, Steve, how's it going? Well, I'll be honest. I'm only on this so that I can plug for a gig as doing the, uh, Battle of the Olds commentator. Oh, yes. Oh. Yes. Wow. You know, Steve, Steve, you could probably you could probably race it and take take G dub down. Oh, I'd be pretty sure I can't, uh, Jay, mm. with the way that I'm a ham fisted man on a, on a motorbike. We might do a Lamar style start. So just the run alone across the track should get you a good jump start on him, I bet. I'm confident so. on the run bit. Yeah, I'll get that. <laughs> How you been? You've been all right? Yeah, not too bad. Just same as everyone else. Lockdown here, another couple of months off until we're back to racing. So just trying to be patient and wait for work to start again, really. Yeah, so you've been locked down in England. So you obviously didn't go to the test in Jerez that got basically canceled. The guys didn't get to really ride much, did they? JJJ, Ireland, mate. Ireland. Ireland. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Ireland. Ireland. Yes, sorry. Sorry. Hey, how 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 did your boy do last night? Go on, which boy? Yeah, McGregor. Oh, well, it didn't end up too well for him, did it? You know, I, no, I, it didn't. It was, it was a bit I, of a bummer. I'll be honest, I was uh, texting Greg at about 2 o'clock in the morning. He texted me to ask me, are you watching the Supercross? And All I was right. obviously awake at that stage. I was trying to stay up a little bit for the fight as well and things like that. And I ended up, I absolutely crashed. So. Yeah. All I got to see was what was on Twitter this morning. Didn't look too yeah. good for McGregor. But... No, it was a bummer, actually. Yeah, he just got clipped and that was it. But... Um, you know, when we look forward, looking forward to World Superbike this year and all the things that go along with you on that. And, uh, you know, I got to say from an outsider's perspective over here in America, World Superbike this season, I mean, it just looks so stacked. And, and I mean, you could legitimately pick anybody to win. It's hard to ever think about that when you got Johnny Ray in there. But I mean, this year, World Superbike should be really fun to be talking about. Well, I think racing in general is going to be something that a lot of Americans are going to be able to look forward to this year because obviously in World Superbikes, we've got Garrett Gerloff. Gerloff had a great end to last year. Now he's got to build on that. There was a lot of talk within the paddock that he should have gotten the paddle ride rather than Locatelli. Obviously, he stayed with his own team from last year, the same crew around him, so you'd expect him to make a step forward. Then whenever you look at the Grand Prix classes, if you look at Cam coming across, if you look at what Joe Roberts did last year as well, there's a lot of reasons for optimism to think that maybe we've got that rebirth for American riders that we've all kind of been waiting for a long time. And I think if you think back to a year ago, whenever I was on with you after the Hareth and Portimao tests, we were talking about maybe this is the chance for you know the right Americans to get their opportunities over in Europe. And now's whenever they all need to really kick on. Yeah. I, you know, you said something real early there about Gerloff and not going to Pata. I mean, Basically, the things that we've heard over here are Garrett just seems so happy within the team that he was within, and they seem like they had a, a really good um, 
relationship for him there. Like he felt like at home, like it was a family type of thing, which is important to Garrett. Uh, that's kind of what we saw looking into it. But the equipment's the same, isn't it, Steve? Yeah. Well, last year, GRT had slightly different spec. They had the year-old bike. They got new engines as the year went on, I think. But they were running a 2019 bike last year. Didn't really make a big impact for the likes of Gerloff because you're a rookie. So you're trying to figure out tracks, people, who you're up against and all that kind of stuff. Whereas for this year, obviously, you want to make sure you're on the same bike. That looks like it's going to be the case. So in terms of machinery, everything's going to be the same. But, Jay, I'm sure whenever you were racing, if you were offered the seat in the factory team versus the seat in the satellite team, you're going to mm. want the factory seat. Yeah. Do you think Do you think that he was actually offered that opportunity at PADA, or do you think that he'd already kind of come to a, a conclusion that he wanted to stay where he was at, and so they went with Locatelli? I mean, Locatelli dominated World Supersport last year. He's moving up with Top Rack. But, uh, but I th- do you think that opportunity was ever offered to Garrett to start with? The feeling I got was that he was never given the chance, or at okay. least it looked like Locatelli was going to get the chance. And the reasoning behind that seemed to be just if you're as dominant as he was in the super sport class, you want to give that guy the opportunity on a factory seat in the superbike class. Obviously enough, whenever you've got a team that's called the Yamaha Junior World Superbike Team, you'd expect a young rider coming up from the feeder class to move into that team. But at, you can imagine as well, there's bits of hymns and hawing about who's the more experienced rider as well, because obviously Locatelli's got loads of experience racing in world championships from Moto3, Moto2, into the super sport class. Gerloff's on his first year on yep. the world championship level. So it's a bit of bit of 50-50 really on it. I think if Yamaha had decided to put Gerloff onto the factory seat, it probably would put less pressure on Locatelli. But I think in terms of the end results, would it make a big difference? Maybe not. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think getting right into it too, you know, when we talk about Garrett, it's going to be a really interesting year for him. I think he's going to do well, like you say. Uh, some of the bigger questions I have, just looking at the rider lineups, um, and we're going to get to Johnny Ray and Alex Lowe's obviously with the Kawasaki team in a minute for me, but you look at what Ducati's done. Um, I thought it was great to see Chaz come back. I I was hoping he wasn't going to go to any other series and and maybe jump on something just to have a ride. Um the Go 11 team on the Ducati, it looks like just by the pictures and some of the, the Instagram images and things that he's basically got reunited with his old bike. Um, and obviously Tito Rabat coming from MotoGP on the Barney Racing. It looks like Ducati with Rinaldi and obviously Scott Redding too. It looks like they're going all in this year. Like this is the year they want to try to stop the dominance of Johnny Ray. Well, they've got no choice. You know, yeah. they've spent a fortune on the new bike. They've developed it. It's clearly the best bike on the grid. I think anyone that looks to say the Kawasaki's the best bike on the grid are solely looking at that on the basis that Johnny's won championships because I think anyone that's in the paddock, anyone that's going race to race, watching session by session, will understand that Ducati just haven't maximized their potential over the course of the two years with this bike because you look at Bautista, he wins 11 in a row and then falls apart. You look at last year with Scott, Chaz, Rinaldi, they all won races. The problem for Ducati was they all took points off each other as well. And yeah. for me, what was exciting about seeing Chaz leave was, for one thing, Chaz has had a long time in a factory seat. He's been paid to win world championships. And as good a rider as Chaz is, and at the end of the day, he's the second best rider in the class over the last five years, he wasn't good enough to beat Johnny for a championship. Maybe going to a customer team, a satellite team, will actually help him. It'll take some of the pressure off him. It'll mean that the team is 100% centered on him. There's no second rider. There's nothing to distract from him winning races. And that could help him. 
And then you look at the factory seats and you're looking at it that you caddy of clearly said, Scott Redding is the man that's going to win this world championship for us. Because as good as Rinaldi was last year, he's too inconsistent to be able to say he's going to beat Johnny Ray. But if Rinaldi can win a couple of races through the year and Scott wins the championship, Ducati's made the right decision to get rid of Chaz and you know put him onto a satellite bike. It makes perfect sense. I think the one thing that's always the issue is how a rider is going to react to those changes. And I think what you probably saw from America was that Chaz was clearly in talks with Moto America teams and wasn't happy with the level of machinery that he was going to be getting in America. So he's clearly still going to be very headstrong about what he wants. So he clearly said he wanted the exact same spec as what he had on the Aruba bikes. And he's been given that. And now it's up to him to really get the results and show that that faith is warranted in him. And that's what's going to be interesting for me is to see who's going to come out as that top Ducati rider. And I think Chaz being in a new team with a new crew chief is going to be massive as well. Because from the outside looking in, it never looked like he had a great relationship whenever he changed crew chiefs a couple of years ago. Just seemed like Chaz has tracks that he, that he felt really comfortable on that bike and others he didn't. And he still has Aruba support uh, in within that team, correct? Yeah, well, Ducati, if you're within any of those teams, you still get a lot of Ducati engineers in the box. Last year with Rinaldi, there was an awful lot of red jumpers and red t-shirts inside that garage. So it's going to be the exact same for Chaz. Yeah, and what do you reckon about Tito Rabat? Tito's either going to be great or he's not going to be great. There's no yeah. middle ground for riders coming across from MotoGP. It depends on what effort they're able to put in. It depends on how they can adapt. I think what's going to work well for Tito is he's clearly bought himself a Ducati street bike, which is remarkably close to what they actually race. It's only you know a second off the pace, second and a half off the pace at some tracks whenever they put the same tires on. So he's able to do exactly what he did whenever he was winning in Moto2, which is just do as many laps as possible, get down there and ride the hell out of that bike from Monday to Friday and then go to the races. And that's a good strategy for him. It's similar to what Scott Redding did last year as well. I think that was one thing that was overlooked by a lot of people outside the paddock. They looked at Scott and they said, you know what, Scott's done a great job. He's won races, finished second in the championship. And it was on from you know a thousand yard view, it looked really good. But for me, it was a little bit disappointing. I think yeah. Scott did great at a couple of rounds. Perez, in particular, he was awesome. Phillip Island, he did really well. Those first two rounds, he was great. But then if you go to Portimao, two Aragon rounds, it really just, there was that dip. And he needs that consistency all the way through the season. And last year, he did a lot of riding on his bike as well. He was doing a lot of track days through the season just to try and get track knowledge for places he hadn't gone to, whether that was the likes of Magni Corey did a track day there or just riding back in the UK he was doing that a lot so he yeah. was putting in that effort that could be a big advantage for him this year and uh, we'll wait and see how he does I think he, he's always an interesting rider to look at because Scott wears his heart in his sleeve to see exactly what he's thinking all the time he's obviously super talented I think everyone wants to see him do well and then it's just a case of how he's going to actually be able to do that over the course of a full season yeah he spends a lot of time only about 20 minutes down the road from where I'm at so I think his missus or something lives over here because he, uh, he's in Thousand Oaks area a lot. And uh, so I know he likes it over here as well. But I definitely think that, you know, when you come into a championship and you got Johnny Ray as the guy and you're kind of earmarked as the person to beat him, I think that you could almost see the the air going out the balloon a couple times last year in the pit box with Redding when he, when he knew that he had given up some points. You could see the emotion on his face and so on. So... Now he kind of knows what he's getting into going into this year, a new teammate and that kind of thing. I think it's good for him too 
that Chaz is still on the Ducati because those two seem to work fairly well together. So I'm sure they're still going to be sharing some information. One of the guys for me too this year, jumping on his third World Superbike team, uh, is Michael Vandemark on the BMW. I think BMW, obviously they have a big push in England. BM, there's a lot of BMWs on the grid over there. Um, they've kind of built that program around Sykes. I think it's interesting now that Vandemark goes to BMW. He's there with Sykes. And of course you got Folger and Eugene Laverty also on BMWs. What what do you feel like the the standard's going to be for Vandermark this year, you know, racing along Sykes? I think Mikey needs to make sure he beats him. It's as simple as mm-hmm. that. Like at the end of the day, he's younger than Tom. Tom's a great super pole man. We've known that forever. But we've always seen him fade in races. And if you look at last year, especially BMW, it was a disastrous year. I don't think anyone could sugarcoat that one. It's really important for them to be able to make a big step forward. I think they made progress with the bike. But they ended up in such a weird situation where they hired Mikey so early that it meant that Laverty and Sykes were just fighting each other to try and hold on to a factory seat. So mm-hmm. they never were able to work together to try and figure out how to develop that bike. And maybe now with the new bike, that can change because they've obviously got a lot, lot more time in the winter. They've got time to be able to try and figure that bike out. But I think that the interesting thing with BMW is you can make such a parallel to what we saw with Aprilia and MotoGP for years. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that back in Germany, they don't seem to have the right direction. You know, They're very similar to what Aprilia were like whenever Romano was running that team. And it was led by an engineer, and they just sort of went down the wrong path in pretty much any way imaginable. BMW has done a bit of that as well. And it's really a case of trying to figure out how to put the right people in the right places. Vandermark can do a really good job there because he can get that team focused around him as long as he's able to, you know, just have good race results. Because we know Mike is not a great qualifier. We saw that whenever he was paired up with Lowe's at Yamaha or whenever he was even teamed up with Top Rack last year. Top Rack did a good job on the Q tire last year and was able to get himself pretty close to Vandermark all the way through the season. So I think that for Mikey, it's all going to be about that long game. And the good news for any Vandermark fans is he's he's got a good level head about what his limitations are and he knows what his strengths are and he's always been a good racer so I'd expect that for Van der Mark we're going to be able to see him be the top BMW for most of the season or at least the top factory BMW it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Laverty and Folger as they get a bit stronger through the season was it just a fact that they couldn't keep the tire underneath that bike I mean we always hear I mean the BMW is obviously fast um I've, I've been lucky enough to ride them mind you it was a, a while back but they have they always seem to handle pretty well uh, I gotta think that's only gotten better but when you say, you know, like Sykes fades and a lot of the, a lot of times, I mean, it was the same kind of for Eugene as well last year. They'd be up front sort of for a little bit. But is it just a matter of managing tires a little bit more with that chassis? I think it's easy to look at it and think it's going to be about managing tires. The biggest issue for them was corner entry. They yeah. were they were dreadful on entry. It, it, I say dreadful, but it's all relative terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they really struggled compared to the other bikes on corner entry. And you saw guys just easily able to sail past them in breaking zones. And I think especially whenever you look at over the years, Laverty especially was always very good on the brakes. Sykes, with his style, was always very difficult to overtake on the brakes because he's so unique. And suddenly last year, everyone was able to pass the BMWs. They just didn't... I think if you were to look at the BMW last year, you'd really struggle to try and find a positive for any area where they were actually at the, the top of the superbike charts. And obviously enough right now, the bikes are very closely matched. The field is stacked. So it's tough to be able to make a difference just with the bike. But that's the areas where they really need to focus on. I think at the start of the program, 
or at least the start of last season, they were really struggling with the electronics. They made progress with that as it went on. And I think the Catalan test was really important for them to be able to find something to be able to manage the tyre for the race. But they could just never really get it to switch on for that fast lap. And when you talk to the riders, that's because they were struggling for the confidence on the entry. So maybe with this new bike, they were able to do that. Yeah, well, it would be great to see those guys because I know BMW has been making a big push. One of the things that we reported last week that I was actually excited about and sad about at the same time was the addition of Leon Camier over at HRC. I know I didn't see that coming. You probably had your ears to the ground over there and knew a little bit more about it. But when I look at it and I see that Batista's back, I was actually really happy to see that they're bringing back Leon Haslam too. I, I think that when you formulate a new team and a new bike, you got to give these riders more than one year shot at it. And I think I think Leon put some some really good rides in last year. How's the addition to Camir, in your opinion, going to help those two guys, especially since he's you know so fresh off of still being a rider and a racer? Um, and that team has got such a Japanese influence, doesn't it, as far as some of their development? How's Camir going to help help these two guys? Well, I'm not going to take any credit to say that I knew that Camir was going to get that job. The one thing I would say is that in November, I did text a few guys saying, has Honda replaced the team manager? That was literally all I knew about it. I didn't think Camier was was going to be a writer or a man for that job because he was still chasing that seat. He was still looking to ride on. Yeah. But you know, you know how it is. Riders don't tend to retire; they get retired, and yeah. injuries were just too bad for Leon. I think it's going to be interesting to see how he does as a team manager because some riders do really well as a team manager, and others struggle really badly. And I think that you know, whenever I, I saw the news, obviously I'm excited to see how he does. I, I'd love to see him turn Honda into race winners and i'd love to see him at least have the chance to see his team win a race he never got to win a race as a world superbike rider and it was always a bit unfortunate for him his career sort of it went the wrong way around he won the bsp championship and then you jump in and you know he never really had teammates up until that point or at least never had teammates that were better than him and then suddenly you've got max biaggi as your teammate at aprilia and you've got two years of that and then you go from aprilia which was the best bike on the grid to the suzuki and you just kind of you go on a slide down the field. And Leon was a great rider whenever he was on the MV 2016 kind of time and never really got the chance to kick on from that and show everyone exactly what he could do as a rider. So now he gets the chance to try and write that as a team manager. But it's a tough slog as a team manager. Suddenly you're the man that's got to make all the decisions. It's always easy for, for us to talk about what teams have done wrong, what riders have done wrong, what decisions were wrong. It's always easy for the rider to criticize his team, but the team manager, the buck stops there. And uh, Leon's got to learn on the job. He's got to try and figure it all out. The good news for him is that Alberto Puig hired him and uh, Alberto's done the same path. He came from being a 500 Grand Prix race winner to being a team manager. And Leon's trying to do the same thing. So he's got someone good as a sounding board, but it's all going to be up to him. He's got to make sure he makes it work. Yeah, and, and what a lot of people don't remember is I believe when he won the BSB Championship, he won all but two races that year. He was riding the Yamaha, I believe, wasn't he, Steve? Yeah, Back it was then? something crazy like that. He's the yeah. guy that brought in the showdown. And, yeah, that's right. You know, that showed just how talented he was. He was able to absolutely dominate a championship that we all regard as being, well, I probably shouldn't say this to you two guys, but the you know the best domestic superbike championship in the world. Yep. And, uh, you know, he, he did a great job there. That showed his talent level. Uh, the yeah. unfortunate thing for Leon was, you know, we never really got to see that in the world stage. But, you know, the talent's there. He's able to win British championships and do a great job all the way through his career. Yeah, no doubt. It's going to be good to see him there. What do you reckon the Hondas, how you how you think they're going to end up in their second year uh, in the championship now? 
they've got to win races. The bikes, yeah. the bikes are really good bike. You know, you look at the engine, really powerful, good top speed on the straights. It's got a really good chassis. You can see that for how the riders flick it around. The one problem with that was it was probably too nimble. We saw a lot of big high sides for the bike as well. So they've got to dial that down a little bit and then just find that limit a little bit better. But I think, especially in the form of Bautista, they've got a guy that can win races. They've got a guy that's going to have confidence and give the team confidence in him as well. So I'd be very surprised if they don't win races next year. But it's not easy to win races in the championship anymore. Well, I mean, when you just look at the grid and if you're a person that hasn't won uh, or a team that hasn't won and you see the people that you're racing against, yeah, Honda's up against it right now. And you got to think that they are really, they want to see some wins this next year. So really that brings us down to, and I, and I know that there's some new guys in it this year with Isaac Vinales and Loris Creston and, and Ponson's back and things. But Lucas when you look Myers. right at it, what's that? Lucas Myers. Lucas Myers, yeah. Yep. He's back. I mean, he's made the step from Supersport with the Pachetti team. Uh, so this, the, like I said, the field is really stacked this year, but at the end of the day, it's all about going after Jonathan Ray. And I, you know, when you look at Jonathan Ray and Alex Lowe's on the factory Kawasaki team, do you feel like, I, I know, I don't know, Greg and I talk about this. I feel like seeing all this new life being bred into the championship, it just gives Jonathan more and more reason to continue to get motivated. Uh, I think that's what motivates him each year is, you know, the fact that Scott Redding came in last year, I think really had him more on edge last year to be ready, but he knows how to win championships. He knows how to be consistent. And for Alex, uh, it, I think it's just small steps with the bike still. It kind of seems like, but does, is Jonathan still, in your opinion, uh, without question, the man to beat? Hey, you're the man to beat until you're, until you're beaten. And yep. Johnny hasn't been beaten for six years. So Amazing. until someone's able to do it for a full season, Johnny's just, he's still the king. And uh, that's the big challenge for everyone else. I think the Kawasaki, at least now they've got a new bike. I don't think it's as big a change as what people are, are saying online. Like You're looking at a lot of the reports about the bike and a lot of it's talking about basically wholesale changes to the bike. Whenever I've talked to people within the team, they've talked about it being, you know, the new aero obviously makes it look very different, but a lot of the rest of the bike is actually quite similar. So I think that it's incremental changes, but we've seen that Kawasaki doesn't have to tend to revolutionize. They just need to make those evolutions and they, They've done that really well in the past. You're still going to have confidence in Johnny being able to get the most out of that package every week. And the team are just, they're a great team. We've seen it time and again, where particularly on Johnny's side of the box, they react very well to what's changing around them. And they've been able to evolve as a team with everyone staying together. They don't get the mechanics all stay there. Tara obviously stayed there, the electronics guy. So all those people have worked together for, this is going to be their seventh year. So they've got seven years of finding solutions and uh, you'd expect them to be able to find solutions again next year. It was really strange to see him kind of with the pressure off at, uh, at Estoril at the end of the year and still not be able to kind of go the pace. It was one of the few races that I can say, you know, top rack was amazing that weekend, obviously at Estoril and he'll be, a, a, you know, another guy that we, we haven't even mentioned really in this that will be, will be there. I always feel like top rack struggles a little bit with the consistency side of it. Where you know, obviously Jonathan's the king of that, but it was weird to see him struggle at Estoril. Um, even when he was pushing and trying his hardest, he couldn't bridge the gap, which was something I wasn't used to seeing out of him. Yeah. Well, if you think back to that weekend, obviously in Friday practice, everyone was trying to learn the track, brand new circuit. You're trying to figure out everything about it. You're trying to figure out your shift pattern. You're trying to move yourself through then to the electronics. You're trying to figure out the chassis then. So everyone was trying to just make small changes 
from FP1 to FP2 and then into FP3. FP3 is an early morning session as well, so it's cold track temperatures. It's pretty tricky to jump into that session to really learn something. So the first time anyone started to push hard in Estoril was in the Super Bowl session. And we saw Scott have a big crash. And then about 30 seconds later, we saw Johnny have a big crash. Yeah. So he went into the races without actually having pushed at the track. So, you know, that put him at a disadvantage. Top rack was just fantastic. And Estoril, that whole weekend, he looked really good. And I think that was one of the weekends that showed how the championship has changed. That showed that we've got to the stage where all the different bikes work really well at individual tracks. It's not like it was three or four years ago, or especially whenever I started in the paddock in 2016, where you know something like the Kawasaki worked everywhere. Now suddenly you've got clear Ducati tracks, clear Kawasaki tracks, Yamaha circuits. Like If you think to Catalonia, Yamaha were fantastic. Estoril, they were fantastic. So those, those types of tracks clearly suit that bike really well. They struggled at a couple of other places. You think to Aragon, that's where Top Rack really struggled for back-to-back races. So they've got to really make a step with their consistency to be able to figure something out around those kind of circuits whereas for Kawasaki they were good but they weren't great at quite a few tracks through the course of the year and I think you could see that with Alex's results I think really highlighted that because the easy comparison to make was lows to Van der Mark at times because when you look at when they were Yamaha teammates how many times did you see either of them run away from the other they were always on track together they were always battling where the Yamaha was 10 seconds up the road it's not because Lowe suddenly became a worse rider overnight. It's because they couldn't get the bike to work as well at those circuits. And that's what can actually be quite useful for Kawasaki because suddenly you have to take a long, hard look in the mirror and say, you know what? Our bike isn't as good as the six world championships in a row indicates. We've got to make progress. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question because you got to look at the Ducati, even the Honda, even though we haven't seen it win yet. Yeah, I've definitely heard mumblings over there, rumblings over there that the that that you know the Honda is obviously a very very good bike too. So well, I'm really excited about getting World Superbike kicked off. Uh, I think all of us are excited about both both World Championships this year between MotoGP being as unpredictable as it was last year. I you know I go into World Superbike this year, of course, thinking Johnny's still the guy, but there's going to be a lot of guys coming after him this year. I think the racing is going to be incredible. Well, that really brings up the question, Steve. Let me go through a list of the riders we have in the World Superbike Paddock. And what I want to know from you is who excites you. So we have, obviously, Jonathan Ray and Alex Lowe's teamed up on the Kawasaki's. We have Scott Redding and Michael Rubin Rinaldi. We have Lucas Mayas coming in. We have Garrett Gerloff and Koda Nazani. How are you going to pronounce Koda's last name? Uh, Number three, or the Japanese rider, or the (laughs) Paddy Yamaha rider, (laughs) or the reigning Japanese superbike champion. If I could figure out a way around Top Rack Razgadiogli for about three years, I could figure out a way around the Japanese rider. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Michael Vandenberg, Tom Sykes, you have Jonas Folger, Eugene Laverty, uh, Christoph Ponson, you have Chaz Davis, Andrea Locatelli, Alvaro Bautista, Isaac Vignales, Tito Rabat, uh, Loris Crescent, Top Rack Razgadiogli, Leon Haslam, uh, Axel Bassini. And and currently, if you look on World Superbikes page, you have a couple of spots that are not filled. One of them is the Tenkata ride. So, but looking at that list of names and the unbelievable talent, the amount of championships, the amount of MotoGP experience or whatever, if you had to single out one rider that you think is going to surprise you this year or someone that you're going to keep that little side view eye on, we know what the front runners are going to do. But who in this list of people really excites you as a commentator, especially on those days when you're not on air? Like, 
a Friday looking at practice and those types of things? I'll be honest. I think obviously someone like Vandermark is going to be worth keeping an eye on, but until BMW show that they're able to make that bike work week after week, I'm not really going to be expecting that much from him. And it's a bit similar for quite a few riders up and down the paddock as well, unfortunately. I think it's such a stacked field that you need all your ducks to be in a row all the time. And that's where I'm quite keen to see what happens in the Kawasaki battle. I think between Kawasaki and Ducati to see who comes out on top in all those battles is going to be interesting because you know you look at Ducati, obviously I said earlier on that they've put all their eggs in Scott's basket to be able to make him win the world championship. The other riders don't care about that. They're going to be going out to beat him. Tito's a Moto2 world champion. We know what he can do. Chaz is a super sport world champion. He's won, I don't know, 33, 34 world superbike races. You know, and then you've got Rinaldi out to prove a point as well, show that he can win more than just that one race last year. So that's going to be interesting there. But I think that intra-Kawasaki battle is always quite intriguing because we're all waiting for someone to be able to take it to Johnny and be able to really put him under pressure. And you know, over the course of a full season, it's really difficult to do that. But I think that what we saw from Lowe's in the past was that he's always been able to deal with being beaten. You know, he had Van der Mark as his teammate before. He knew he wasn't going to beat him week in, week out. And now he's got Johnny. He knows how good Johnny is. Everyone knows how good Johnny is. But for everyone on the outside, you always want to see someone take down the king. And, you know, I don't think over the course of a season, Alex would do that because Johnny's got all that experience. He's got great team around him. But week to week, it's just always quite interesting to see what happens within that kind of battle. But for it to be really interesting, Alex clearly needs to make a step next year as well. So that's what's going to be interesting. Yeah, I'm really looking forward myself, obviously, to see what Garrick Erloff, you know, is up to. But also his teammate, um, Koda Nazone, Nazane, the number three rider, the Japanese rider, the champion. <laughs> he seems to be pretty fast. You know, it, it really is going to showcase, I think, the level of the All Japan Road Race Series as well. But I mean, it, it's a stacked field. There's a lot of talent in there. And before I let you go, what I wanted to ask the sec second to last question, I guess, or whatever, is going to be the, the calendar because you guys kick off uh, the 23rd to the 25th of April. And the calendar right now has 12 rounds on it with that 13 rounds, you know, kind of being decided. If you look at the calendar itself, you know, you're going, um, what, Aston to Estoril to Aragon, you're going to Catalonia and, you know, how do you see the calendar playing a role in the championship or is it just normal stuff going to happen this year? Well, I'd love to say normal stuff's going to happen this year, but we saw over the weekend that Aston suddenly in doubt because the Dutch government has brought out uh, new directives for, for avoiding a big events. Now, we're still seeing the Dutch Football League continuing, so sporting events are still going ahead. So it could well be a case that what they're looking to stop are big celebrations like King's Day and any parades and things like that. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Assen with regards to that. Hopefully the season still goes ahead as it's planned because you know we all need to be able to get the year started. And you hope that it's going to be a relatively normal season. But MotoGP's just changed their start of the season. and Unfortunately, we're not going to Coda and we're not going to Argentina. So there's always going to be those question marks with the way that the world is right now. And you just kind of hope that we get 12 rounds. I'm hoping for 12 paychecks more than anything else. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're able to have a, a normal season. Relatable. <laughs> yeah, 100% relatable. 
All right. Well, listen, Steve, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Again, we appreciate the insight and we'll definitely check back in with you as we get closer to the world Superbike season. So we can talk about, especially aren't some teams getting set to test at Jerez again sometime in the coming week. Yeah, they were all, well, they were all there last week. There was the Ducati teams, the Kawasaki teams and the Honda team, but it got rained out. So they didn't do any testing. And uh, Honda has, decided to go down from Wednesday to Friday. They're going to pick whatever two days are the best days for them. And I think that uh, Ducati are down for two days. Kawasaki are down for two days, but might only run. They mightn't run because the big question is going to be whether or not it's useful to run. And uh, there's new restrictions in this year about the number of days that you're able to test. So I think a lot of teams are quite wary of that. And one of the big question marks hanging over them as well is what happens with the Assen round? So if the dates change for Assen, suddenly the teams are looking at that's a much longer off season. Maybe it's worth saving those couple of days for later in the year, maybe for March or April to give you something that's a bit closer to the first race. All right. Well, thanks so much, Steve. We appreciate it and looking forward to talking with you again. Steve, thanks so much again. No worries, guys. I got one question for you actually before I go. Who? Jason or Greg? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it's for both of you, so it's whichever of you wants to jump in. But we mentioned there about the Japanese Superbike Championship, and obviously with the number three, the Japanese rider coming in at Yamaha, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Nozane to uh, see how he reacts to being on the World Championship. Obviously, a couple of other Japanese riders are finding their way into BSB and different championships as well. So that's a championship that we're suddenly going to see the level of, a bit like what we saw with Moto America last year with Garrett moving across. I'm quite interested to see what's going to happen with Moto America coming into this year. So with Cameron gone, who who do I need to keep an eye on? Who's the guy to be? Wow. You know, it just depends, I think, a little bit of who's going to uh, be on the Ducati because we don't really know yet. Uh, we're hearing certain rumors, and there's a guy that's been left off that World Superbike grid this year that I know you know who I'm talking about with Tenkate, Loris Bass. So we're hearing all kinds of different things over here about the possibilities of seeing him or somebody else filling that seat with Zanetti. Um, but I, I really think right now it's up in the air. We still don't know who's on the second seat at Suzuki, do we, G-Dub? So we're still waiting for a, a few confirmations on our own over here. I can tell you, Steve, that in speaking with Richard Stamboli from the, oh my God, here we go, the Fresh <laughs> and Lean Attack Performance Yamaha Racing Team, um, that Jake Gagne has made quite a significant step in his off-season testing, the, the limited testing that they have done. So I think for me, looking at it, Gagne's got to be one of the riders that sits at the top of the pile for the moment. But also you've got to look at Josh Heron on that motorcycle as well. If Josh can muster up that that consistency all year, he's, he's unbelievably fast. So I think for us, really, if you look at it on paper, uh, without that Ducati seat being settled just yet, I would say that we're looking at at least five to six riders that are capable of winning superbike races right now. And so that's what's really exciting where I think Jason and I could tell you after looking at the testing that went on at, before, you know, 2020 started, we all kind of knew that Cameron was going to do what Cameron did. Maybe not as extreme as he did it, but Cameron was head and shoulders above everybody in testing. And he had a confidence rolling into the season because of his fitness and everything else uh, that it was kind of a different vibe heading into the 2020 season than it is in 2021 makes it in my opinion, like super exciting. Like when I think about it, I get butterflies in my stomach. Yeah. And I think too, Greg, just hearing what you, you know, what you're saying there, 
we can't take out Matthew Skultz either. I think Matthew's going to do a really nice job. He's coming back from an injury. Um, but I really got to feel like that team also now with Cameron gone. Um, Matthew stepped up a lot last year. He was he was able to give uh, Cameron a run some qualifying sessions and such. So if he comes back strong and healthy, I think Matthew, he kind of gets forgotten about because we talk about some of the other teams. But that Westby team has is, is been together for a lot of years now, and I think Matthew's going to have a solid season as well. Did I answer your question? Yeah, you've sold Moldo America very nicely, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. And la- But by the way, last thing to talk about is you're more than welcome to come on out and commentate. If you can get to the United States or maybe we'll find a budget for you, I think it would be absolutely priceless, priceless to have you out at Chuckwalla Valley Raceway to commentate. the. I, again, I don't know what the rules are. Jason's supposed to have some stupid committee and come up with some rules. I know that we're talking about the possibility of of uh, David Kolb and I racing on Ninja 400s as well as racing or riding on his bikes, his uh, Kawasaki 600. So I still don't know what's going on. All I know is, is that at some point I'm going to start working out. Uh, <laughs> at some point, <laughs> some point yeah, the got, last 30 years. I got plenty of time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's plenty of time till the end of March. So, I mean, I, I got to pace myself at my advanced age. I don't want to overdo mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, we'd love to have you out here. It'd be so fun to have you out here with us, but, uh, but that whole thing is going to be a mess watching G-Dub trying to squeeze into leathers and you might not want to be part of that. Waka, waka, wow, wow, waka, waka, wow, wow. All right. Whatever. Well, like I said, guys, I'm only in it for paychecks. So as long as there's a budget set aside for me, I'll be there. Oh, oh dude. What we, we have to get you and Lowe's over here. I'm sorry, but since you're in the UK, do you get paid in euros or a Pence? Is that what they call that or something hey, like that? I, I don't know. I'm still in Ireland. I'm still in Ireland. Ireland so I'm paid in euros. I'm still in the EU and everything's still fine for me. Got it. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Well, thanks again, Steve. Appreciate it. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you, Stevie. No worries, guys. Good fun as usual. See you, mate. That was great. All right. On next week's show, we will, of course, talk about Supercross and fantasy, where hopefully I'm going to whip your ass again. But also, we'll talk to motorcycle team owner, road racer, and mother, Melissa Paris. Now, she's championing a cool program that sees a select few women get a brand new Royal Enfield motorcycle, Jay. They have to build it to road race specs. They're going to train with it, and then they're going to come race it at some exhibition races at Moto America events. It's a pretty cool-ass program. So more on that. Uh, did you have you seen like the press release or anything about it? You know what? I saw little bits about it on social media, but I mean, Melissa's you know she's been doing some stuff with Royal Enfield for the last few years, anyways. Mostly dirt track, I think. So yeah. the fact that they're going to build one to road race specs now, and obviously we've seen her uh, on Cameron Peterson's bike. Very, very, very legit um, lady is Melissa when it comes to the whole motorcycle thing. She just gets wrapped in it. I like her. I like her bike builds that she does online. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those where on her Instagram where she'll be getting parts in and she'll she'll you know she'll show you how they're getting on the bike and how a bike's coming along. And um, I know she's building one. Uh, I think she's building an R one or an R six right now. I've been watching that a little bit. So what a cool what a cool thing uh, for what is it six, five ladies or six ladies that are getting a chance to do this? I think it's seven. So I was going to encourage you okay. not to, not to read the press release and just listen to what she has to say because I yep. like your reactions when you don't hear that. So yeah, I will do that. Be fun. Yeah. So one thing I didn't say as you know in her title because I'm going to mention it before she's a team owner a road racer but she's mm-hmm. also a national champion mechanic at, that she won Correct. in 2020. All right, I look ahead to the calendar for this week. Uh, yeah, it's Supercross at Indy Saturday night and on Tuesday, and that's about it. So 
make sure you go out and watch some racing. If you can get to Indy, um, if, if you can get a ticket, then do that. If not, stay home and watch it and enjoy it. That's all I have, Jay. What about you? Yeah, no, I'm excited. And, you know, obviously, huge thanks to Steve English for being on. It's it's such a so cool to have him kind of uh, feed us through the World Superbike year as he did last year and a lot of knowledge there. So it's always great having him on with us. 